Hello, everyone. Perry and Aaron back here with a brand new episode of Collider Ladies Night. And you all know I'm a massive Jurassic fan. So it is an utter joy to welcome Wanda Wise to the show to talk about Jurassic World Dominion, but also a lot of other very cool titles that you're a part of. Hello and congratulations. Thank you very much, Perry. I'm so happy to be here with you. I am very excited for the very first part of Ladies Night because... This this dice tower behind me wasn't just designed for your movie. It's always <laughs> had a Jurassic design, and you are just the first Jurassic cast member to ever use it. <laughs> How dope is that? <laughs> you get three rolls on this glorious dice tower, and whatever we roll, that's what we start with here. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're kicking this off with a number one. Number one is, if you could guest star on the TV show of your choice, what show would you pick, and what role would you play? Oh my goodness. Uh, one that still exists or one that no longer exists? Totally up to you. I would guest star on What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, and I would clearly play, I would play somebody's nemesis. I mean, there was like a whole, you know, uh, uh, thread in the last season with like the werewolves that were like their antagonists. And I just, the show is so funny. The show is so funny. I want to do it so badly. So yes, thank you. Great question. What we do in the shadows is always the right answer to that question. That feels like a real possibility. Like maybe we're manifesting something here. Yes, we are. I believe. I think I'm so. going to choose to believe. All right, roll yeah. number two for you. Now we're going with a number six. Number six is wrap gifts. What is the most memorable wrap gift you've ever received? Oh, I've ever received. I give a good wrap gift. Or give. I'll let you uh, turn that question around. Um... Let's see. Uh, I'm trying to think of both. Oh, okay. I'll give both. Uh, given because I love food and I believe in food and I think food is the greatest gift that we can give to anyone and ourselves uh, for the show that I just wrapped on. My wrap gift was a suite of food trucks the last week we were shooting. Um, and nothing brings people on your side or makes them think you're a hero than food. So that's greatest given. Greatest received was uh, Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart as a rap present for his productions. He has his photographer whose name is also Kevin, funny enough, um, taking photos the entire time. You know, he's just taking photos. He's like capturing photos of all the crew members and he gives you a yearbook, a beautifully bound yearbook at the end of the production. And that is the most brilliant, you know, like inclusive, we were all in this together, making this film together present that I've ever received. I've crossed paths with photographer Kevin quite a few times over the years. <laughs> it does not surprise me to hear that. Now, because I, I have to know, what was the rap gift on Dominion? The rap gift on Dominion, it was multiple. Um, oh, that's what I did. It was closed. They gave us like, you know, it's COVID. We shot it during the pandemic. So they gave us um, uh, codes to go into like the Jurassic rap gift swag store. I sent it to my mom and my brother. That's what happened. I was like, I was like, what was the rap present? Did I not get a rap present? And I was like, oh no, I gave it to my family. My brother has a really cool jacket now. He's a really cool jacket. You're too generous. I don't know if I would ever do that. <laughs> All right, I got one more roll in the tower for you. Okay. 
All right, we are finishing this off with a number two. I'm happy about this one because I obsessively look at IMDb trivia pages and all the random facts I learn about someone on them. Yours is very short and it's basically just like a copy and paste of some Wikipedia facts. So if you could give me a super random fact about yourself to put on that page, what would it be? Oh, a super random fact. Only because it's relevant because now I'm in an action movie and it just, it cracks me up. I'm very self-amused as you can probably tell. Uh, When I was in the 10th grade, I was in Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps or JROTC and I was not an athletic kid. So I remember specifically and deliberately pretending, this is before I was an actor, I was not an actor yet. I remember pretending to pass out after one lap around the track because I didn't feel like running the mile. I just didn't want to do it anymore. I just was not interested in completing this physical fitness test. So I was like, huh, oh, I'm faint. That would be my trivia. Middle school aged me trying to pass like the presidential physical fitness test or whatever it was is wishing I had that ability right now. Listen. Do you run now though? Because when of I grew course. up, I, I like immediately got into it and I started running like distances and it's the complete yeah. opposite now. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Yeah, I was definitely a, a, a late bloomer in the whole like, oh, endorphins. This feels, this feels, that's why people do this. If you had told me that I got endorphins, <laughs> you know, I would have done this earlier. As long as we get there eventually. So that actually gives me a good segue to like the meat of our conversation here. So early days now, I was reading that you started acting when you were a sophomore in high school and you did it to get out of detention. So I I now am wondering, do you remember when acting became, you know, something that you needed to keep experiencing, like a creative itch that you had to keep scratching? You know, I like, that's a great question. And it was, uh, it was very soon after that because I recognized a number of things. It was very apparent nearly immediately, right after that detention, (laughs) which the detention was auditioning for the musical, which was the Music Man. That was the first production. So my detention was auditioning for the Music Man. And I just remember even through the scene work, the early scene work, I was a very emo kid, you know, it was the 90s. Of course, I was an emo kid. Hello. You know, uh, we all were. So so I just remember it being a place like free therapy. I remember it being a place that was like a safe place uh, to put all my all my like emotional energy. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I wanted to be a therapist. So there's like a little bit of that when you're breaking down a character of like analysis and, you know, kind of psychoanalyzing. Um, so it kind of scratched that. And then, like I said, you know, this is kind of related to pretending to pass out while running the mile. I was a quitter. OK, I quit a lot of activities. I got bored very easily, very Gemini behavior of me. You know, I didn't do anything for too long. And I just remember thinking like, oh, wow, if I'm an actor, I don't need to quit because the job ends. Oh God, what a way to- <laughs> I get it, it makes sense. Wait, I'm gonna cheat at my dice tower game and I'm gonna bring back one of those questions because now it's making me wonder, is, is there anything that you quit that now you wish you could learn more about, but through a, through a role? 
Uh, probably the one that broke my mother's heart the most because we did not have money and she bought a whole violin from the used violin place would, pro <laughs> would probably, probably be that. I would love to, to learn to fake the violin a little better. I still, I'm like proficient in piano. I have characteristically piano fingers as people tell me all the time. And I played for years and years. So it would be probably one of the instruments. I played violin, I played the piano. I was a percussionist in middle school. Yeah, I'm telling you, I quit a lot of activities. Okay, stop looking at me like that. They're like budding skills though, that you could foster through a role. Acting I could, like or fake it really well, which is well, kind of the same that to too. me. A little bit, a little bit, it can be. A little bit. It's not the same, but it's the same to me. All right. So now I love talking to people about their experience studying their craft in school. And you went to one of the best schools out there. So I know that when you go to school and then you get out there and you try to build a career, it could be really like difficult and scary to leave that safe space, that, that really structured environment. So for you, what was the key to bridging the gap between studying at NYU and feeling like you have jump-started your career? When I was a freshman at NYU, I was, I've always been very, uh, I've always been, you know, an artsy kid, but also very type A, you know, and I and I come from a family of entrepreneurs, very like st strategy driven, you know, um, people. The wise side is just everyone owns a small business, you know, wise detailing, wise cleaning, wise everything, you know. Uh, so my freshman year, I remember <laughs> going into, you know, only a certain number of students got to actually do the showcase uh, after the end of four years if you were an undergrad at Tisch which is still the case, I'm sure. But I like went into League Gundersheimer's office freshman year and I said, hey, hi, I'm Dewanda. Um, so I just wanna know what do I need to do to ensure that I'm in the showcase? And he was like, I'm sorry, what, what year are you in? What year are you in? Um, so that's who I was when I was in school. I couldn't wait to get out of school. Um, and while I was there, I was already kind of planting the seeds. You know, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but Gina Rodriguez, uh, we worked together on Someone Great. She was my first manager. We trained together at Atlantic Theater Company Acting School. She had an internship at Jocelyn Herman, uh, which is a small management company in New York. And she signed me when I was a sophomore in college. I knew you two are friends, but that's incredible. No, we're friends. <laughs> that movie is also delightful. We are going to get to someone great. Oh, great. Um, but first, we have to stop at She's Gotta Have It. So thinking about the NYU of it all, that show obviously came up years after you had graduated. So was that a situation where you had kept in touch with Spike and then you know it took off from there? Or did he kind of just call you out of the blue? No, it was definitely, it wasn't entirely out of the blue. I don't think Spike remembered me from NYU. Like when I, when I graduated, he threw this, oh my goodness, you're bringing back all the memories. I'm so glad I have a good memory. Okay. When I graduated, he had this thing called, it was like 20 for 20, 20 crews, right? And I remember um, like working it. There were a number of us like young, either filmmakers or, you know, um, or actors or whatever. And, you know, my job at the time, I think I was, I don't think, I remember what I was doing. I was following around Wesley Snipes and his family and taking care of his children and just making sure that they were safe and having a good time. That was my job on the 20 right. for 20 cruise. Um, and I was also at the time always just auditioning for stuff. Like he still directs a lot of commercials 
you know, uh, at the time he was still doing like some music video stuff. So I knew that entire camp, that like 40 acre camp for many years, you know, um, don't think he remembered any of that, but that's fair. Cause he is Spike Lee. He's very famous and kind of an icon. So by the time I got to, she's got to have it. Uh, I was in the work of one of his former students called how to tell your douchebag. And he saw that film. And the writers in the room of She's Gotta Have It were all accomplished playwrights in New York City, and they had seen me in a play. So it was this kind of perfect, you know, convergence of, uh, you know, follow your bliss and me just like following my heart in right place, right time. Meant to be. I love it. Yeah. So now I kind of got to flip that around and get a little negative with that because I do. I always love covering bumps in the road on this show just to highlight how we overcome them. So, oh, yeah, I got which when, one, which bump? When, when that bump? show when that show gets canceled, just mm -hmm. what was it like for you managing personal disappointment that it had come to a close? But also, what did you learn about the reality of what it means to be a part of the show and, you know, the ins and outs of going through the renewal or cancellation process? Well, I think you have to go flip back to like five minutes ago where I told you that I was a quitter. So, <laughs> so jobs ending, they don't make me sad. You know, I had a, I had a um, castmate just a couple of weeks ago, you know, I just finished this job through women and Lola Kirk. She was like, you're not sad. Why aren't you sad? And I was like, I leave it all on the floor. You know, Perry, I leave it all on the floor. You know, she's got to have it. We had two amazing seasons. Season one was like, there was one moment where I just remember they were like clapping for me mid-production because I worked 52 days. She's a true number one, you know, 52 days in a row. Like being a lead on a TV show specifically requires an unfathomable, de unfathomable degree of stamina and wellness and morale and leadership. You know, so I did the first season and then the second season, you know, we filmed over two months in three different places, you know, and I felt both seasons a sense of story completion. Like if I had done uh, because Spike at the end of the day is a filmmaker, so he's used to a kind of more cohesive story. And for my part, for my money, there were no cliffhangers. You know, it wasn't like one of those things where you're working on a show that the, the creators expected it to go five years or whatever and you and it's like so dissatisfying because you're like you knew what was going to happen in season five you know we told two complete stories uh back to back and and i still have those lifelong friendships you know me and margo are still like this i just like shouted out anthony ramos yesterday i'm so proud of him like i cannot wait to see him himself again up on the big screen in transformers you know me and cleo are homies so you know, I, I, I gained a lot from working on that show, both in terms of like relationships, um, skills, and obviously working with a legend. I love that perspective on it. I could uh, learn a little thing from you on that. Um, another thing that I absolutely love talking about on this show is when someone has to make a really tough decision. And that tough decision is between two very good things. And the one I'm going after here is Captain Marvel. Yes. Can you kind of talk us through what the, the discussions and the thought processes were like when coming to the conclusion why committing to the show over the MCU was the right move for you then? Well, it wasn't a choice, you know, and I think I think what was painful and what's always painful about um, how the public processes 
um, news or like the presumptions uh, that they make about how Hollywood works or what choices performers do or do not have, you know, uh, unless you're like a super defensive person and you just have to get on Twitter and you have to get on Instagram and like be like, guys, you know, I committed to she's got to have it. When you commit to something, you commit to it, you know, and it just so happened that um, when they decided to essentially expand the role in Captain Marvel a little longer, a little larger. It conflicted with a very specific moment uh, that we were shooting in season two, a very special episode that we shot that I would not trade for anything in the world when we shot in Puerto Rico. That was experientially, um, spiritually, personally, one of the most remarkable and life-changing moments of my life. So it was, um, it was painful. It was painful to be told no at the time. You know, it was like, it wasn't something that, you know, that I didn't have to like grieve and process and be like, wow, you know, this was a, a really big opportunity um, that, you know, felt like at the time that it was like taken from me. But now, of course, when you play it back and you're like, oh, I'm playing a pilot, I'm playing a pilot, here's why here's why. That's why this didn't happen. So that I could do this in this way. And also not for nothing, Lashana Lynch, y'all. She's so good. She's so good. She's so good. So you're welcome. You know what I mean? Like, thank you. Thank you. It's goodness. the best of both worlds for everyone because the, we got that season and then we got a, a great Maria in that movie. So we got a great we all Maria, win. you know, and who knows if she would or would not have done Bond, which was also a role that was just made for her. You know, who knows, like, you know, what Hollywood needed for that to happen for her. So listen, I'm content over here, okay? <laughs> My heart is bursting, and I love zero it. Zero life complaints. All right, I'm not moving into Jurassic as much as I want to go there right now until I touch on someone great because I just want to make sure everybody out there knows about that movie, which is just an absolute delight of a romantic comedy. What is the key to, I guess, making a film so infectiously charming like that? Is it something that comes from the script and that foundation, or is there anything about the way that that set was run that created that special kind of spark? Uh, one, I'm going to answer a question you did not ask, but actually what happened was I couldn't do Captain Marvel. And the day after, the day after I text Gina and I said, I feel like there's a role for me in your movie. It gets better. So that's also a part of it. You know, I would not have done someone great if I were in Captain Marvel. And the experience of working on that movie also changed my life. (laughs) I have a lot of those. Uh, But it also changed my life because it really set the bar for what I wanted my on-set experience to be because we were having as much fun as it looked like we were having making that movie, you know? And it was the first time that I had this experience where the final thing, like the finished product, I didn't, it's not that I, I don't want to say I didn't care, but the process of working on it was so beautiful and so precious. It just gave me this feeling that was just like, well, I hope other people enjoy it. Cause I do like, I don't, you know what I mean? It was like this level of freedom. Um, and, uh, everything was absolutely on the page. You know, it's Jen, Kate and Robinson, you know, if, if folks don't go back and watch sweet vicious, I don't know what to tell you. Like, please just go back and watch this again. Another canceled too soon. 
uh, TV show because I just think it's absolutely brilliant. So I already knew and loved and respected her voice, but much like Jurassic World, actually, obviously we had a lot of freedom. You know, it's, it's comedy. You improvise. You have to. You have to. It really is impressive just jumping off our last conversation about Jurassic. I just wouldn't expect a blockbuster of this scale to have as much creative freedom. And I heard it in every single room that I was in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love no, it. I, yeah, it's, I don't think that's how it's supposed to go. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of afraid for myself because I don't know how else to operate. So I'm just, I feel like anything I go into now and yeah, I did. I just had this experience, which is just like, do you like to play or do I have to behave? I got to imagine that anyone casts you in their movie or show, they've got to know that that's, that's like the secret sauce. They got to embrace it or what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So very beginning of Jurassic World Dominion. I, I kind of want to ask about the, uh, the casting process, but I think the first thing I have to ask you is, was this an audition or was it an offer situation? Uh, it was an offer, you know, since it was like the last couple, Someone Great, Fatherhood, Three Women, and Jurassic were all offers. Well, well-deserved, well-earned right there. Thank you. So when you got the offer for the role, I guess after it too, has Colin ever throughout the process told you what he saw in your past work that made him think you were perfect for Kayla? I still have not asked him. I don't know why. I don't know what I'm waiting for. I really... I have no idea. There was no, did we talk about this like a couple of days ago? I just, I do not know. Cause even when I think about, cause here's the thing, the thing about season two, if she's got to have it is I had already been training for Captain Marvel. So Nola Darling has muscles for no reason. I don't know if anyone picked up on this. No one seems to have noticed, but she was brolic for no reason in season two of that series, you know, but it wasn't out yet. That wasn't out yet. Uh, Twilight Zone wasn't out yet. You know, there were all these other projects that weren't out yet. And I'm just like, I don't know what he saw. I can bet you I'll make sure that I get to talk to Colin again in the future. And I'm going to ask him. Yeah, whisper it. You guys, yeah, let me know. What is it like for you when a role comes as an offer? Because it's a wonderful thing. But does a situation like that, I guess, you know, make you nervous about living up to expectations? Or is it a situation where there's great confidence? It, it's a situation where I know I have to live up to the expectation. Right. It's definitely a situation and it's a balance too, because it's a situation where you know, you have to live up to a certain expectation, but also you have to exceed an expectation, right? So if you cast me in something and you saw something in another role and you're like, Hey, come do that over here. Then there's a little more friction, right? There's a little more push and pull of being like, I'm not giving you Nola again, though. I know you kind of think that's what you want, but trust me, I have something, I have something not better necessarily, but more right for this. For what it's worth from the viewer perspective, I can't imagine it going any other way than you taking what's on the page and making it your own with your special type of energy. So I feel like you probably exceeded those expectations. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So during our last chat, you were telling me a little bit about how you were channeling some Sarah Harding from the book and your interpretation of Kayla, but it was kind of making me wonder to, you know, flip it around and view something like that from the character perspective. So I don't know if you actually thought this through. It's just me obsessing over Jurassic details Excellent. but she she technically in that world has seen the fall of jurassic park and world and also the fallout from it so which past characters actions do you think have influenced who she's become and the decisions that she makes the most um i mean probably 
and this is not just saying be, I'm not just saying this because I think Bryce is brilliant, but I think you know the the arc of Claire Deering of moving from being the like vicious like you know company woman almost like very 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 borderline villain that she starts you know as in in Jurassic World and making this delicious full like full arc you know to where we see her in this film but I think just in terms of the actions of that character and the ramifications you know in the thoughtlessness you know of what it means um you know that's why when we meet Kayla she's disillusioned Like it's why it's just like it's the same way that many of us, many of us human beings on planet Earth today feel, which is just like, well, I mean, if people in power, if they don't care, I mean, what can I do? You know, Um, and so in, in that way, you know, as a character and as an arc, it's really inspiring because, you know, we have to believe that there is something we can do. We have to always believe that there is something even if that something is like you know so small in the moment we have to believe that our individual actions have ripple effects and ramifications for all of us i greatly greatly appreciate that quality in this movie and in my favorite franchise for that matter I'm going to put up the spoiler warning for this next question so you could talk about it freely, but I know that some things had to be reworked after the COVID hiatus. So was there anything in particular about Kayla's experience in this story that changed when you got back to set? Well, um, you know, I'm, I try not to talk about the, um, pandemic in like glowing terms or just be like, I grew so much. Cause that's gross. Uh, <laughs> I really try not to do that. Um, but not for nothing, the um, the quarantine was when I shared a lot of the work that I do as an actor with Colin. So, you know, honestly, the quarantine was like a two-week workshop between us, you know, and there were things that I'm sure if I had jumped right into production, you know, in March when I was supposed to start, that I would have like figured out on the day, you know, or just kind of um, suggested or, you know, suggestions I would have made. But um, I mean, that dialogue pass, her entire dialogue pass, the incorporation of her backstory, um, you know, even to the point of like sending it to Joanna and having her incorporated into wardrobe and her backstory, like all of like the history of her adventures and everything she had done and all who she was up until that point that wouldn't have happened um, to the extent that it did without the shutdown. It's, it's like what I was saying before, the value of you know pinpointing a challenge and then highlighting how you overcame it. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad that that experience served the film and the character for the better overall. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna wind this down with a game. We'll try to squeeze it in here. So okay. you are gonna play my movie, My Way, and I am making it your Jurassic Park, your way. This whole game, the whole concept will prove I've learned nothing from all these films. Excellent. So first, we're going to build a park. You need to pick a location. Where in the world is your park built? All right, location. Uh, that's terrible, Dewanda. You shouldn't. Uh, my brain is horrible. Okay. Uh, let's build it in Montana. Okay. Your brain is not horrible. My answer to that would have been like, my family's backyard, so we can all be together with the dinosaurs. <laughs> 
(laughs) So of course, every park owner needs a right hand, a second in command. So of everyone in the Jurassic World Dominion Ensemble, who do you bring aboard to be, like, I guess your chief of operations? Uh, Even begrudgingly, because he would hate this and it would never actually happen, but Alan Grant. Okay. Okay. I mean, you know, I told you this is two for two with, with, uh, with Sam Neill and I, so we got to go for the third. I mean, he would know how to manage the park responsibly or as responsibly as one can. I get it. Yes. So now on the other hand of everyone in the Dominion Ensemble, who I guess is your, your Ian Malcolm, the one who's there telling you like, Dewanda, stop this. This is a terrible idea. Don't build this park. Uh, Ramsey Cole. Played by Mama Two, trillion percent. Both him and his character, yes. <laughs> right. Here, here's yet another terrible question, but you get the opportunity to ask Dr. Wu to make you the dinosaur hybrid of your choice. What type of dinosaur are you requesting? I feel what? terrible asking these questions, but I have admittedly thought about it. They are horrible questions, and I love <laughs> them so much. I mean, since now that we can do like hybrids and they can be genetically modified, the little one, I also don't know dinosaur names, so you're just going to get like, uh, you saw the film, right? Oh, yes. Okay, I great. can help you with some of them. <laughs> Please help me. So the one, the little one that's in the cages, this like biting through the cages that like attack Owen Grady through the Malta sequence. Do you know what those are called? Okay. Are we talking about the compies? The compies. Yes. Okay. Those I know. Yes. The compies. So I would combine because I like really small creatures. My, I have a toy poodle. He's eight pounds. I'm just like, so I would combine a compie with maybe a Lystrosaurus or another like small herbivore dinosaur i just want a pet i'm uh, let's get to what i'm trying to get to i'm trying to get to i'm trying to get to what pet would i want and that is a really tiny dinosaur i would like a tiny dinosaur i mean as would i i grew up on prehysteria i don't know if anyone in the world still remembers that movie but it always made me want a dinosaur as a pet yeah i'll throw in one last one because of course this has to end in disaster one dinosaur (laughs) breaks out of its paddock in your park and it ruins everything which dinosaur is it um, ooh, one dinosaur. One dinosaur. One dinosaur. We've seen them all. Dilophosaurus. Yes. Yeah. That's yes. the right answer. Yeah. The more Dilophosaurus, the better. The better. But I'm sure many would argue with that statement. I do <laughs> I must let you go. Dewanda, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on Jurassic and everything else you accomplished. I can't wait to do this again. It's bound to happen for another movie or show in the future. You're delightful. Thank you so much. 